And uh, the last uh, lecture, last week, we finished with, uh, we spoke about eclipse. When the sun disappeared, when the moon disappeared. So the eclipse, who is it good for, who is it bad for, that's where we ended up the lectures with some new interesting stories that we said last week. I'm continuing today. Uh, we still in Masechet Sukkah, so the Gemara, the Gemara says, "Bishlosha dvarim gedolag milut chasadim yoter min tzedaka." Now the Gemara compares between tzedaka, charity, to chesed, kindness. Uh, kindness is not uh, an exact word for the word chesed, because word chesed in Hebrew it includes many things in it. Kindness, it's kind of being nice. It's a combination of being nice, helpful, helping people, care about people. All these things together is considered the word chesed. That's what it is. So the Gemara says, what's better really? To do a charitable act? To give charity to a Jew? Or to do chesed to a Jew? Which means to help him, uh, you know, to take care of his needs. So it's two different things. You give him money, one, two, three, fine. But money to get money, it's not easy. What's better? So the Gemara says there are three advantages on chesed, on kindness, than charity. Why? The charity, it's money. And gemilut chasadim, and kindness, it's money and physical efforts. If you have to deliver a box of food for him, a case, uh, I don't know, a box full of uh, meat, eggs, like the Tom Cheshavis do. They bring to poor families and they put them by the door, they ring the bell and they run away. Right? What's harder? Let's say the box worth $100. To come uh, and put uh, or send by the mail uh, anonymously $100 to this family, or to bring a box full of all the things that you bought in a grocery and leave it ready for them for Shabbat. Obviously, the second option is much harder. It's involved with your money and your efforts. Double efforts. The first effort is to get the money. Second effort is physical efforts. So that's one advantage. Tzedakah, charity, is a mitzvah to do to poor people. If, Bill, if you give $100 to Bill Gates, charity, did you do a mitzvah? No. He didn't do a mitzvah. Why? He doesn't appreciate $100. If you see it on the street, I doubt that if he bent down to pick it up. The three seconds it will take him to pick it up, he just lost a thousand. You know, so if he's busy with something, I don't think it's a good investment to bend down to pick up a hundred dollars. For ordinary people, no, maybe it's a whole day of work. But the idea is, when does, does it consider a big mitzvah? When a person is hungry and cannot feed his children, or he cannot afford ordinary things that a person needs for every day's life, then you give him the money, so it's a big mitzvah. So tzedakah is only for the poor. Gmilut chatzadim is for the poor and for the rich. If a person is rich and is sick, and you go to the pharmacy and buy his medicine and deliver it all the way to his bed, or you, or you went there to volunteer to make food for him for the whole week, or if, if his father passed away and for one week you cook for them, for the whole family, for, you became a catering for him just as a neighbor because you know there's nobody else to do it, that's a different story. So even if they're rich, now, it's not only for poor people to cook for them or to help them physically. Rich people also need help. So that's why there's a second advantage. It's for poor and for rich, kindness. But charity is only for the poor. No. What's the third thing? 
Tzedakah, it's only, charity is only to, li to living people. You have to be alive to receive the charity. If you're dead, what, what are you going to do with that? Uh, put a hundred dollars on a grave. Does it help the person? It doesn't help him, no? So tzedakah, charity, is only good for living people. Gmilut chasadim, kindness, is for living people and also for the dead people. Person die, you wash his body, you do ta'ara. Rev was just asking me about it before we started. No, you had Ruach HaKodesh. You saw where we were heading. So you wash his body, you deliver him to the cemetery, you, you, you bury him, you cover the grave. You do his needs after his death, you go and you take care of his will, uh, you make a tomb for him. All these things, it's uh, kindness, it's chesed imametim. By the way, you should know that to do chesed, kindness to the dead people, it's a higher level than to do it to living people. Why? When you do it to a person that is alive, you expect somewhere in your back conscious, one day I may need a favor for him. If one day I need him to give me a ride, if one day I need him to come help, if one day I need to sleep by him, Whatever, I always gonna, I can, there's always a possibility I'm going to have a use for him. So helping him today is opening me an option. I have a ticket. One day I'll cash on it. You understand? So that's called chesed imachayim. Since you expect something, it's not so perfect. Ah, if you do it to a dead person, what can you get back from him? Maybe a visit in a dream. He visit you in a dream, say thank you, you feel great. But... Uh, but the idea is that this is a pure chesed. It's l'shem shamayim, because you know there's nothing I can get back from him. And that's called chesed. So we just named three advantages, advantages that kindness has as opposed to charity. Uh, you know, this is the time, if we already got to it, to say something very important, especially for the community here in Queens. Uh, I know... For instance, in the Persian or the Bukharian community or the Kafkazi community, all these areas there of, uh, of these countries, people who immigrate from there to America or to Israel, they have very nice tradition. They pay a lot of respect to the deceased people. For instance, if there's a yard site, it's a memorial day, it's not just cakes and some uh, cold drinks. They really make a meal, they bother. They serve it in nice places. Some of them rent a catering place. They invest a lot of money. A yard site is a yard site. You know, they, they go to the grave. They do all these things, which is very interesting. However, that's very good. You bring a speaker. He gives divrei Torah. That's very good. It's, it's great for the deceased person. He likes it. Everyone gather for me. They pay me respect. They say divrei Torah for me. They make brachot on the food. Berkat Amazon. He enjoy it almost like someone making a good eulogy in the time of the funeral. However, that's the good thing. What's the bad thing? The Chafetz Chaim writes in his book that how foolish is what people think that by investing tons of money on a grave, on a tomb, on a marble with gold letters, and fancy walls, and all kinds of things that they do for the grave of the person, how foolish it is. They think that they make the deceased person enjoyed. But in reality, is looking to them as how foolish. Who cares about this nonsense? Now when I'm in the world of the truth, this is the truth, the ultimate pure truth. 
I care about what kind of marble, how expensive, imported from Italy, gold leathers, black leathers, uh, it's clean around, who cares about this nonsense? Now, if you're already investing $10,000 to import marble from somewhere to make me a grave, you might as well take even half of this money and donate gemara, sidurim for the synagogue, you know, the sidurim, in our day CDs, uh, all kinds of reading material, influence people to keep more mitzvot, that's a million times better for me than putting a piece of rock on my grave, you know, or cutting nicely the grass. But the, the people don't understand. If you finally want to really help them, instead of putting so much money, then you might as well focus on things that can really, really help them, not just to look nice from the outside. Over there, they're not appreciating a $10,000 piece of stone. They actually eat their heart that their kids have to spend money on nonsense. And this is things that we have its time right. Half its time right. This is Olam met over there, the world of the truth. Nobody cares about these things. Nobody cares. However, there's something even worse that uh, they write the name of the deceased person, for instance, it wasn't a tzaddik. And they write, Aisha tzaddik, a chassid, the tzaddik, the chassid, the holy man. He gets punished for that in Shamaim. How did you fool the public so well that they write such nonsense on your grave, or in hospitals, or in places that they donate money for your name? How did you fool them so well? That's a problem. Uh, a person cannot uh, put his show pretending he's holy, in reality he's, he's corrupted and rotten. That's not what the Torah educates for. You know, it's in, it reminds me about an interesting question in Halakha. Uh, there was one yeshiva, they opened up the place, and now they need a Sefer Torah. They don't have a Sefer Torah. So the Gabbai, the collector of this yeshiva, he went to one wealthy guy and asked him to donate a Sefer Torah, let's say $30,000. So the guy said, I'll give you half of the cost. I'll give it to you in condition that you find another half from someone else. If you find the other half, you get the half from me. So he went shop around, he found another wealthy guy that's willing to give the rest of the Sefer Torah. But he has a condition. What's the condition? The condition is, I'm only giving you, whatever, $15,000 to complete the Sefer Torah if when you do the Achnasat Sefer Torah, when you bring it into the Yeshiva, you make sure everybody knows that I am the one who donated the Sefer Torah, not the other person. It's going to name only on me. If you want the Sefer Torah to be named on me or on my father or whatever the case is, I'm giving you the money. So they say, okay, let's ask permission from the first guy. After all, he gives 50%. We go to the first guy, he's a tzaddik. He's not a show-off. He doesn't care about his name. He knows the words of the Zohar, the Kabbalah, that when they write your name on a mitzvah that you did, it takes away most of your spiritual reward. Because you're enjoying in this world from this mitzvah, therefore you're going to lose some or most of the reward of the mitzvah supposedly that you did. Uh, so the first guy said, of course I don't care. Let him do. Let him write the Sefer Torah on his name. I know Hashem saw what I did. I don't need uh, credit for it. So guess what? They asked the Rav, okay, the, the guy agree, but the question is, are we allowed to be liars? 
It's a lie. When we do Achnasat Sefer Torah, we say it's donation of Mr. X. It's not his only donation, he has a partner. So what, what do you think the answer is? You're allowed to give the credit to the second guy or no? Everything to him or it's a lie? That's the question. It's a lie. It's a lie, right? Yeah. I know, but the question is, are you allowed to lie? Because sometimes you're allowed to lie. If you want to save the life of a person, you're allowed to lie. If you want to make peace between husband and wife, you're allowed to lie. Right? Each word is a, each letter. So let me, let me show you how beautiful the Torah is, how the poskim, the rabbis of our days, Every question that we have in our modern days, they find an example in the Talmud or in the Torah to show you how to determine the answer. So the question is, we have supposedly, supposedly, supposedly we have a contradiction between the Torah and the book of Joshua. In the Torah it says that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was the one who picked up the bones of Joseph, Joseph from the Niles, and he carried them to Israel with him. While all the nation of Israel were busy collecting gold and silver and ma you know, money from the Egyptians, as they go out with donkeys full of wealth, Moshe didn't care about wealth. He went to search for the body of Yosef, and he found it in the Nile with, with the help of Serach uh, Batasher. There's a whole midrash about it. And he found the bones, and he carried them to Eretz Israel. In the book of Yoshua, it repeats a description of that scenario, what took place there. And it says, the nation of Israel who brought the bones of, of, of Joseph to Eretz Israel, to, to, to the land of Israel. So who, who brought it, Moshe or the nation of Israel? The Gemara say, no contradiction. What? Moshe started the mitzvah. Without him, Joseph would stay in Egypt until today. He wouldn't come out. He is the one who found his body and took him out. But since Moshe himself did not enter the land, he died while he was still in the desert. Who brought the bones into Eretz Israel and buried him where he is? Where is he buried? You know, Yosef? In Shechem, Nablus. That's when the Intifada, the Arab, burned all the area of the grave and painted it green and put a imach shimam. They put a flag there and, made, and turned it into a mask. So I asked one big chacham, why Hashem is doing it to us? That one of our fathers, Joseph, the murderers took his graves and made it into a filthy place over there. Why is it? So the answer is, because Yosef symbolized holiness, Shmirat Abrit, keeping the covenant, watching his holiness, not wasting you know, all his energy on sins, so because the people in this generation are so bad with this holiness, with this mitzvah, Hashem heard us, is hurting us in the things that we need improvement. What do you think? It's not, not, nothing is coincidence to wake us up. Here, the symbol of the Brit is in the hand of the Ishmaelim, the murderers of the Hamas. These filthy murderers, that they still have it. A Jew cannot go there today without an army, heavily armed. Cannot go there. So anyway, to, com to com complete what the story we started, so the nation of Israel brought it into the land, and we have a rule. If somebody started a mitzvah 
and he did not finish it, and another person came and did the other half and finished it, who gets the credit for the mitzvah? The one who finished it. Also for negative, if a person dig a hole in the ground, in a public territory, in those days there were axes, horses, holes, people needed holes. They have to dig some holes in the ground, a pit, and they hide their stuff in, and they cover it with something, and tomorrow they come, they pick it up. That's how it was. But you have to know where you put it. You cannot put it on a road, or if you put it on a road, you have to make sure it's covered. So, how deep is the hole for you to be guilty? If a damage happened, it has to be a sarat fachim, ten fachim. This is a tefach. This is a tefach. So, ten sarat fachim is from the floor to here, something like that, let's say. Like this. Okay, about three feet. So, if a person digged nine fachim, and an ox fell in, he is not guilty because he needs to be ten fachim. But if a person came and digged it, another tefach, one more, and made it into ten. The one who dig nine and there's one who dig one. Who is guilty if a damage will occur? Who do they come to pay for the damage? The one who dig nine or the one who dig one? What's the doubt? If you come to the one who dig nine fachim, you say, I left the hole safe. I wasn't able to make a damage. Why care somebody came and made it deeper? That's his problem. The one who dig one, he say, I only dig 10%. He dig 90%. He made 90% of the damage. I made 10% of the damage. You want me to be responsible? Doesn't the Torah say that you follow the majority always? <laughs> no. What do you think the halacha is? Of course, you don't have to be a genius for it. The one who dig the extra tefach, the last one, he is guilty. Why? Because up to then there was no problem. So since he finished the job, he is guilty for everything. It's like he dig the whole thing. Same thing when we build our sukkah. There is a mitzvah for us to put the schach. That's really the sukkah is. The walls, it's not so important. You can even bring a goy to build it. But to put the schach, that's something that we want to do. The owner of the sukkah, he should put the schach. What happened if he kept his sukkah from last year? He's lazy, he didn't take it off. <clears throat> Comes sukkot, he has to pick it up a little bit and put it back. Take it off, not the whole thing, just, a, you know, like a bunch. You take them off, you put them back. No, I did a new sukkah, that it won't be from an old year. So if somebody did 90% of the schach and you did only 10%, You've, you made the sukkah kosher, you know, whatever it is. You, up to the point that you joined, it wasn't kosher, you finished it. It counts like you made the sukkah. And many other examples. So same thing here. They brought the body of Yosef to Eretz Israel. It became their mitzvah. No? So based on that, now the question that we had about the Sefer Torah, half. First guy, half the other one. Are we allowed to write that the other one wrote the Sefer Torah? Based on that, yes. Without him, it wouldn't be Sefer Torah. He's the one who finished it. And that's how it goes. Same thing in Siyum Masechet. Somebody sits and learns the Masechet three and four months, all day, Gemara. You come to the last two rows, right? And they make Lechaim, they say Kaddish. It counts like you finish the Masechet. Not literally, you don't get the reward of his efforts, 
but it counts that you participated in finishing this Masechet, this Gemara. Why? Akol olech achar achitum. Everything is after the, the final signature. That's what the status is. Okay, so now we continue. <coughs> the Gemara continues. The Gemara says like this. Amar Rabbi Elazar, kol haoset zdaka mishpat, people who do charity and justice, it's like he took this whole world and filled it up with kindness. Shneemar, how do we know it? In Teilim, in Psalms 33, person who loves tzedakah and justice, the world is becoming full of kindness, chesed. Every time it says it means earth. Right? So, Aaretz, I mean, Aaretz with a hey, Ert. Shema Tomar, Kolabalikfotz Kofetz. The Gemara asks a question, maybe you should say, Kol Misherotzelatet Zochelatet. Everyone who wants to give has the merit to give. Talmud Lomar, no, not exactly. Mayakar Hasdecha Elokim. Yachol Afilu Yereshamayim Ken, I'll translate soon. Yachol Afilu Yereshamayim Ken. You may say, what's the big deal? Everyone has the merit to give tzedakah if he wants. The answer is no. It's a gift from Hashem. That you have the merit to, to give it. It's, it's a sign that you yere shamayim. You have respect to Hashem and you fear Hashem when it's necessary. Every person that has chen on it. What's chen? In a way, it's beauty, but that's not what it means. It means that he's, he's loved by the public. Charisma, uh, he has good, good reputation, good name. Everywhere he goes, people are like a magnet around him. He's a good figure. Then it's a sign that uh, he's loved by Hashem also. You know, it's Yeresh Hashem Hashem me'olam va'ad olam al Why? Because we have a pasuk. A verse that the kindness of Hashem, the kindness of Hashem from in this world, from the beginning of this world, going into the next world, the chesed, the kindness of Hashem is only on those who fear Him. Chesed Hashem, Hashem is it's called Siata Dishmaya in our language. You have assistance from Hashem based on how you are. That's why I spoke today to a person. He became very religious. His father called me to complain that he's too fanatic. He doesn't care anymore about anything. He's not learning in, in college secular studies anymore. He doesn't care. All he wants to learn is Torah. All he does is speaks about Torah. And he gives Musar to everyone. Everyone is afraid around him, intimidated, because they're always afraid they do something wrong. So the situation in the house is like tight. And especially on Shabbat, when he sits with his parents, why are you doing this? How you do that? How can, are you not afraid to do that? People who have no experience and they're full of fire when they become religious, it's fresh. Sometimes they can make more damage than help. Because one of the greatest things in Kiruv, when you make people religious, you, you must have common sense and lots of experience. It's not enough to, have, to be knowledgeable and know all the material by heart. That's only 20%. Most of the success is determined on how clever you are. What to say, when to say, to who to say, to who not to say. How many times to say. 
and in what way to say it. How many compliments every person need before you give him the zets? You know, it, it takes time. And if you don't know it, sometimes you do it in the wrong order, you attack with criticism, and later you come with the compliments, it's too late by then. The person blocked himself, he doesn't want to hear. You have to know how to do it. And some people, you expect from them too much. An older person, he never kept anything in his life. He agreed finally to keep Shabbat and put filin and eat kosher. Oh, for him it's such a sacrifice. You cannot fall on him with five tons of uh, mitzvot on his head. Do this, put tzitzit, do that, why you do this? No, don't do like this, don't eat garlic that was in the fridge overnight. Uh, you have to do netilat le'edayim with lots of water. Every five minutes something. When you go out, uh, when you make your tilat yadayim, hold it like this, like the Kabbalah, in the end he kicks everything, he becomes Khalil Shabbat. And sometimes leave the house and go marry a Goya. Why? Because he has a son and he's not a clever guy. So I'm giving this guy a direction how to do and what to do. And one of the complaints that his father had, he said, if he gives me all this musar, can you explain to me how he still smoke uh, marijuana, pot, whatever you call it? How does it smoke, he said. What kind of religious guy he is? So I asked the guy, Na'e Doresh, Na'e Mekayem. You give them all these speeches. You made them very religious, Baruch Hashem. And you still touch drugs and alcohol. You smoke. I said, ah, what's this? It's nothing, he says. Try to make it nice. And it's once, once in a blue moon. It's not like every day. I'm not addicted. And sometimes when I have, uh, I'm, I'm under stress or something, so I drink a little bit whiskey. So what's the big deal? It relaxes me. So I told him, that's exactly what the Torah is speaking about. A person has to reach perfectness on his own without medicine and drugs and alcohol. Of course, everyone who takes a pill will sit like this and never make sins. That's not an achievement. What kind of achievement is that? You understand? Many people think taking drugs, it's not a sin. It's my problem. You know, I'm not, uh, I still put feeling, I still keep the Shabbos, I still eat kosher, I still learn Torah all day. It keeps me, whatever, more focused, more relaxed. I fight less with people, but you don't have any credit for it. Because if you're a nice guy under an influence of medication or drugs, that's not considered any mitzvah, it's nothing. Now where is the restriction? Where does the Torah say that you're not allowed to touch this stuff? The answer is, the Torah says, You have to watch your health and your condition very carefully. Everything that may bring risk to your brain, to your head, to your body, to your spine, to your muscles, whatever it is, you're not allowed to risk your body. That's why if it's very cold, you have to dress properly. You cannot count on a miracle. I'll go to Siberia for three days with my uh, T-shirts and I won't, everything will be fine because Hashem will protect me. It doesn't work that way. And since a person has to be normal, cannot take risk, cannot jump from a ceiling to a ceiling, counting all kinds of, uh, you know, oh, no, I'm, I'm religious, I keep mitzvot, I learn Torah all day, Hashem will protect me. It doesn't work that way. A person cannot rely on Hashem making him miracles every hour. It's not exactly Avraham Avinu, you know? And that's why I'm trying to explain this guy. You understand? The idea is to get to perfectness without all these chemicals and whatever. And plus, all the people who are addicted to heavy drugs, they all started like him. Ah, it's once a month. It's only smoking. It's once in a while. Go and see them today. When they started with that, there was enough for them. 
that relaxes them, that makes them happy, they like the feeling, whatever it is. But what happens when they have a serious crisis in their life? They got married and their kid died. They're very depressed, they cannot work anymore, they cannot enjoy life. So what, what's, what's, where are they going to run to? Either alcohol or drugs. But these drugs will not do it. Then they're going to something very massive. I'm not an expert about drugs, but I see from other people what's going on here. And that's when they start with something like this, they become dependable. They depend on it. And then it's three, four hundred dollars a day, and then they lose their house, and they lose their wife, and they lose their family, and their kids is bums on the street. And why, why is it? Because of smoking a pot, whatever it is. You, know, you understand what's happening? It's one thing leads to another. Alcoholism is just as bad. Hey, people think it's only alcohol. Alcohol, you can become a murderer, right? You drink, you go in a car, you have to drive. What are you going to do? You going to get stuck here all night now? People don't think. They get in. And I told you in previous lectures that a person that is under the influence of alcohol and drugs, any minor damage, needless to say serious damage, such as life, such as financial damage, is 100% guilty. Which means if he killed a person, or he broke something very expensive, or he had a diamond and he lost it for someone, is 100% guilty. He cannot come and say, it wasn't me. It's like the demon got into me. And I didn't know what I'm doing. I killed someone, you think I knew what I'm doing? He's 100% guilty, and they execute him in a court. Even though everybody knows 100% that he never wanted to kill his neighbor. He, he maybe even like him. But under the alcohol, he didn't know what he's doing, he killed him. Why are you getting killed for putting yourself in such risk by drinking or doing these things that you can make such damage? And believe me, all these people that it happens to them, their life is not the same anymore. Today, when the court doesn't execute people, do you think these people can, can live for the rest of their life knowing they kill people by driving a car under the influence of alcohol? So that's why the Torah is very strict about this. Okay, we're going back to what we said before. Uh, so... So, to be able to give charity and to be a kind person and to help others, it's not so simple. You need to have some kind of merit. That's why sometimes you, two people hear about a poor person that needs help. One will run to help, the other one won't. It's not only because this one is lazy and this one is not. It's also sometimes a pers this person has more siyata dishmaya. It's like getting a push. It's God telling him, run, do it. Same thing if a poor person looking for bread to eat and there's three different houses and he doesn't know which house to knock on and he knocked on your door, Hashem gave you a prize. You just got a prize. You give him two, three pieces of bread, I don't know, egg, tomato, whatever you gave him, five dollars, whatever, you save, a, you save a person. Why he knocked on your door? Because Hashem gave you a priority. You won't give him food, he'll go to the next one. Then it's his, his chance. But who came first? You! Which means Hashem wanted you first, before, before the other guy. And that's obvious. The Gemara continues, In the future to come, this is, the Gemara now speaking about days after the Messiah will arrive, after the resurrection of the dead. Now the world is changing to a different kind of world. Up to then, the evil inclination of every person in the world is inside his body and is killing him from inside, eating him. Do this, do not do that. 
make a scene here, make a scene there, you know, you feel it inside, it's burning. All these desires, all this anger, all these horrible things inside. It's like poison inside the soul. But in the future to come, all these feelings that we have inside our bodies that comes from inside, and we are boiling because of that, uh, <clears throat> right now we cannot take it out of our body. We have no control of it. We can only handle it, deal with that, try to overcome the influence of this negative inside of us. But in the future to come, HaKadosh Baruch Hu take the Satan. Who is the Satan? An angel. He is in charge of all evil in the world, everything. He's in charge of the evil inclination, he's in charge of every negative things. HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring him and slaughter him in front of all the people, the righteous and the wicked people. Then after that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu let the righteous people look at the world that they've been through in all their Gilgulim and reincarnations. And the evil inclination, the image of the Satan, of all these desires, look like a mountain. What kind of mountain? For the righteous people, they look like a huge mountain. It's a very, very, very high mountain. And for the wicked people, it looks like a very, very low mountain. The righteous people are amazed. How did we climb on such a huge mountain? And the wicked people are saying, what? Such a low mountain we couldn't pass? Why Hashem is doing it? Why? It's like two people coming to a store to buy uh, some, uh, I don't know, some suit or something. And one of them had it in his hand. He said, no, I don't want to buy it. So the other one felt bad for the owner of the store, so he bought it. So now the owner of the store always send people to him everywhere he go. What a beautiful suit. How, wow, how, how much you paid for it? Wow, it's a bargain. Why is it? He's appreciating him for buying the suit from him or the diamond, whatever it is. So he wants to make him feel good about what he did. So he keeps sending people to give him compliments. The guy enjoy every penny he gave. If nobody gives him a compliment, what does he enjoy from this jewel? Nobody pays attention. Why did I waste so much money? Same thing here. After the righteous people listened to Hashem and did what He told them, He wants to make them feel great about it. Ah, when you look back, see how much I achieved. Wow, I didn't even know. So you feel great about it. But the wicked people, they're full of disappointments. This is what we couldn't cross? Such a low mountain? like a piece of air, that's how thin it is. And they begin to cry, and the righteous people are very happy, and that's the end of it. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi says, he's still in Masechet Sukkah, seven names the evil inclination has in the Tanakh, in the Torah, in the entire uh, Judaism, and all the books. What are the seven names? One of them, his name is Ra, Bed. Shneemar, where is it? Genesis 8, Bereshit 8, First time the Torah name it, Ra, it's in the verse, in the first chapter on the Torah. Then second time we deal with that is Moshe calling him Arel, like Orla of the circumcision, that's his name, Arel. It's Deuteronomy 10. Umaltem et Orlat Levavchem. There is Orla when, uh, when we circumcise the baby, and there's Orla on the heart. 
But that's a spiritual orla, not physical like in a circumcision. David HaMelech, King David, Krao, Tameh. King David called it impure. Tameh, the opposite of pure. In, in, in Psalms 51, Lev Tahor Berali Elokim, from here that he's asking God to give him a pure heart, which means right now what is it? Impure. So that's obviously what he, what he was referring to. Uh, Shlomo Amelech, his son Solomon, call him Soneh, enemy. An enemy in Mishlei uh, 25. How you say Mishlei in English? Who knows? Mishlei. King Solomon, Mishlei. Okay. I'm not the only ignorant here. Good. Good to feel, <laughs> make me feel better. <laughs> you should know. You don't know? Uh, if you don't know, I don't have a chance to know. All right, anyway, so If your enemy is hungry, feed him some bread. What is he talking about? He's talking about your desires, your evil inclination. He's hungry to make big sins. Sometimes you have to give him, to let him hit a little bit, a small sin, to save yourself from a major sin. You understand? If I give you an example. People who are looking to be strict all their life. Everything. Where, where can I be more strict? Where should I do more? The Allah has said, this is what you have to do. No, no, I'm going to do extra. No, it's not enough for me. What happened with them? There's a very high chance that one day they collapse. Where do we see it? I've seen it through the ears of guys who come to the yeshiva to learn Torah. They come, earrings, ponytails, you know, the whole show. Hippies from Har uh, not Harlem, from the village. That's how they look. Ripped jeans, you know, the style. Guitar, this, you know. Up after a month, beard, the ponytail moved to the front. The earring disappeared somewhere. The jeans, nobody can find it. Nice suit, sometimes a tie. Learning all day. Some of them quit smoking. So far, it's okay. Next thing, the problem begins, they grow big peot, black hat. You, you give them uh, wafers. Come, come, eat some wafers after lunch. No, 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 I don't touch this. Not because he's afraid of sugar. He's very skinny, don't worry. Why does he want to eat cream cake, uh, chocolate mousse? I don't know, all these desserts that they serve. No, no, I don't touch this anymore. We didn't come to this world to suffer. I mean, to enjoy. That's not, that's taking away from my next world, all these things. We're already speaking like the Baba Sali, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochum, Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't think Moshe spoke like this. One month in yeshiva, if you see a guy like this, it's almost guaranteed in two, three months, you see him on the street, back to be a hippie, and two Christine girlfriends. For sure. Why? If you don't build your foundation very good and strong with patience, and it's a hard work, it's like building a building without a foundation. How many floors you can build? One, if you're lucky. Two, you're luckier. Three, four, five, boom, it collapsed. Why it collapsed? There's no foundation. Foundation, it takes a long time to make. You dig a big hole, you put the cement, you make it massive. Then the rest. In America, it's very interesting. When the hurricanes come, in less than a second, the building is gone can have a fancy $12 million house, I don't know, Malibu Beach, all these fancy places. 
comes one hurricane or typhoon, psh, the whole house, him and his wife snowing in bed, the bed flew from here to Israel. Why? It's all pieces of wood and plastic or even the bricks, doesn't matter, since the house is all wood inside, one, two, three, it's falling. In other places they build with bricks, massive building, it's not so easy that it flies in a wind. But one, something very interesting is, how a house that is built with wood can stay 30, 40 years in places that there's no hurricanes, no natural disasters? Why? Because the foundation is strong. Very thick cement. You saw how they make a building here? The basement, the surrounding of the basement, with some of it is in the ground or above the ground, walking level, it's very massive, very thick cement. Everything on top of it doesn't matter anymore. Wood, pieces of wood from Home Depot. That's the whole house. You come today, you see the, you see the foundation. Three days later, the whole house is ready. Windows, everything. Why? It's Lego. Nothing. Nothing really whatsoever. Since the foundation is good, the rest is also steady. But if the foundation is not good, you can make the house as strong as you want. It will all co always collapse. Always collapse. If your feet are not working well, your feet, only your feet are a little bit crooked, no matter how muscular you are, no matter what an athlete you are, your muscles are the best, you cannot walk straight, you cannot carry anything. Why? You're not stable. This is a rule in life. A person that becomes religious, he needs patience. He needs to establish himself very well and stop with all the show-off. Most of this is show-off. I don't touch wafers, I don't do this. Right away, quit smoking. Everything in one shot. A person is not capable of changing from one day from being a Haman into Mordechai. It cannot be. It cannot be. You're not an angel. And if you did it, it's just a matter of time until it all collapsed. That's why we've got to be very careful. So King Solomon says, let your evil inclination eat a little bit. Eat, eat a little bit, which means, you know, you think that you're going to be too strict. No, 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 not so fast. Eat a little bit candy, eat a little bit dessert. Even with the kids, all day force them to learn, to learn, to learn. You don't let them do anything. One day they collapse. So what do you have to do? You have to give them some toys. A little bit sport, let play, play here, I don't know, play some kind of, I don't know, chess a little bit. Uh, yeah, the idea is that he will be focusing on holy things. But only, only, in the end, a person is not capable of carrying so much in one shot. You've got to build it in the right way. It's a very important rule in life. Sometimes the Rashi Yeshivot, in good Yeshivot, when they see somebody right away puts a black hat and right away change everything, they tell him, go back. Go back to the way you used to dress. Cannot be in two weeks you already became like this. No, no, you build yourself in the right way. Or some yeshivot for Balei Tshuva, they don't tell them one word about the haircut. Nothing. Six months he has a ponytail, nobody say a word. Why? If you pressure them, they just cannot stand it. Then they go back to the street and you destroy the soul. For what? For not important things. It's important. But it's not crucial like other things. What's better, that it'll be Shomer Shabbat with a ponytail or has a nice short haircut and be Mechalel Shabbat? What's the option? There's no option. It's only one option. Ve'im tzameh ashkeu ma'im ki gechalim ata choteh al rosho v'ashem yeshalem lach This is all expression. Hashem yashlimenu lach, the Gemara say. Hashem will make you perfect, complete. 
If you're going to do what you need to do, the rest Hashem will help you out. It's called what we call today Siata Dishmaya, assistance. Ishayahu, Isaiah, called the Yetzer Arad, the evil inclination, Michshol, an obstacle, a, thra- a trap. Where Isaiah 57, Solu, Solu, Panu Derech, clear the way. And remove the obstacle from my way. What was he speaking about? The evil inclination of the people. He was giving them musar, ethics. While he was speaking to them, he used an analogy. What was his analogy speaking about the evil inclination of every person there? Clear the way and remove the obstacle that nobody will fall, like a trap. Who is he talking about? The evil inclination. Okay, here you go. Yecheskel. Ezekiel, Krao Even, called him a rock. Shenemar, Ezekiel 36. God said to us, There will be a day I will remove the heart of stone from your body. Remove the heart of stone. Our heart is not stone, it's flesh, right? Soft. What's a heart? Two pounds, three pounds of very soft tissues. But the analogy, the comparison is to a rock. Why a rock? It's very difficult to design a rock. If you have a wood, it's soft. You can design it, you cut it, you move it, you turn it, whatever you want to do with that. Even metal. Metal you can hit, you bend it the way you want. But a rock is very difficult until you chop it, oh, you work a year. So he says, this is an analogy, this is comparing us to a rock. As the Torah says, stiff neck, stiff neck, same thing, a neck like a rock. It's not, not bending down, stubborn, has chutzpah, that's what it is. And Yoel, Joel, the prophet, that's the seventh name, call it Tzfoni, Norten, Tzfoni. Ve'et ha-Tzfoni archik me'alechem. Why? Because there's a pasuk in the Torah, it says, The problem comes from the north. Comes from the north. It's even today, it's true. All the problems of the nation of Israel in this generation comes from the north, where Syria, Hezbollah, all the missiles come from the north. Yeah? But it's much deeper than that. It didn't mean literally that the missiles come in from the north to the south, but seven names right here. Remember, the evil inclination has seven names in the entire Tanakh. The Gemara says, Maaseh be'abaye. A story with Abaye. Abaye is one of the important rabbis in the Talmud. Abaye and Rava, you hear their names in every chapter in the Talmud. Shmael e'ahu gavra. This is in Aramic. I'll translate it. Abaye came to his house, to his building, whatever it was, neighborhood, and he heard a guy in the neighborhood, a young guy, speaking to a young girl. That's already in those days, ooh, you know, how can it be? What's going on? No, so right away he hid himself behind the wall and see what's going on. Maybe there's some kind of illegal actions there, let me jump. So he's on alert now. 
What does the guy say to the girl? Lemachar nikdom venezol beduchta pelan. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going tomorrow from, I don't know, from Jerusalem to Lod, let's say, with my horse and carriage, and I, I can give you a ride if you want. Now remember, it's not like today, you drive your car, everywhere you go, lots of light, neon lights, all the windows, uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in a stores, they make a lot of lights. Sometimes you feel like in the middle of the day, 11 o'clock at night, especially Manhattan, you feel like you're in Miami on the beach, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a lot of lights. We are talking time that, like days like today, at 5, 6 o'clock, that's it. Complete darkness. You go on roads, up the hill, down the hill, bushes, trees, uh, you know, rocks. Oof. <laughs> and you sit with a woman inside the forest, 2 o'clock at night. What does the Satan come? That's your chance, my friend. Right away he comes. Hey, what are you doing? 2 o'clock at night. Even if he didn't plan, once he got himself into that situation, some sins will come out of it. So the rabbi, Abaye, here, is offering her a ride. Wow, he got very nervous. Amar, easy, lafrishinu mi sura. I have no choice. I have to follow them. I have to run after them. We're talking tens of kilometers. It's not one or two hours. I will run after them from far away and see. As soon as he moves his arm or something, I'll scream. And I save them from a horrible scene. Azal batrayut lata parsi beagma. They surrounded the whole lake. Lata parsi. I have no idea. It's very, very far. Kilometers. Follow them. Kiavu parshe mehadadi. When they got into an intersection, he has to make a left. She has to go to the right. She got off his carriage, and, you know, they didn't touch each other, nothing. The whole way they spoke, the Torah, beautiful things, you know, he teach her what he learns in yeshiva, nothing, nothing intimate. When they got to this intersection, she said, I appreciate you gave me this right, thank you very much, God will be with you. He made the left, she made the right, and that's the end of the story. Now what happened? Amar Abayi, Iman de Saneli, it's called Lashon Sagina Or. When the Torah wants, when there's something negative, you don't want to say yourself. So you say, if my enemy will be blind, you want to speak about yourself. If I would have been blind, so you say, if my enemy would be blind, everybody understands you speak about yourself. Because it's not good to even hypothetically speaking say something negative about yourself or even think. Check yourself. Sometimes you think about something good who came to you, the next day you lose it. Or if you can't tell your wife, you know, I'm closing this deal, very good. Oh, five minutes later, a phone call. Hey, there's problems, you know, the bank doesn't want to give the loan. Hey, the deal is off. Check and see how it is. Or sometimes if you feel, what a great kid I have, this and this, the next day you get a phone call from his teacher. Sir, we have to, <laughs> have to come. Just an hour ago, I was thinking, what a lucky guy I have. Oh, telephone. Check. It's called, Altiftach Pela Satan. Don't open your mouth for the devil. So, Abaye said, if it was me, He sits on the floor and cries. If I would give her a ride, if I would give her, I would make a scene. I wouldn't be able to be with her hours in the carriage this whole way and not do something, not make a move. And this is, if you have an idea, who am I talking here about? Just for you to understand, you take... 10,000 holy rabbis, the best in the world. 
that God is signing on them. This is the top 10,000 in the whole world. You put them on one side of the scale and you put them on the other side, the scale will break towards his side. And it's not an exaggeration. These people were greater than angels and anything you can think of. If you read in the Talmud, the, the lifestyle that they had, what they did, what achievements they arrived, this is a person that is greater than an angel. And he's giving a ride to a neighbor and he says, I would not be able to give her a ride all these hours or days, whatever he took, and not make a scene. How can it be this guy did it? Somebody went and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, get up, what are you doing? Why are you on the floor here? Biggest rabbi sitting on the floor. He said to him, you see that girl over there? You see that guy? I followed them and they did not touch each other. The guy said, oh, very good. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm crying, not for them. For them, I'm happy. I'm crying about myself. So what's the answer? The Gemara asked, how can it be? This ordinary guy, one of the neighbors, who is he compared to him? The chief rabbi of the generation. The guy didn't make a scene with a woman and this big one, holy man, will do? This is a very big secret about life. The greater you are, the bigger your test in life are. You're not staying in the same league, my friend. When you become religious, or if today you convert it. No, first day you learn Aleph Bet in Hebrew. Hashem gives you a small test. A little bit here, a little bit there. Five years later, you expect to get the same test. It's like a guy goes to the gym. First session today, take three pounds weight, 20 times. After 20 times, wow, my master, I cannot move. You want to drive, he cannot pick up his hands from the gym to go home. Why? Three pounds. Two months later, you show up to the gym, you see already 10 pounds. What happened? Why are you working so hard? Hey, here, take back the three pounds. Why? Don't kill yourself. Why? Three pounds, I don't feel them anymore. Just two months ago, you cried to me, you couldn't move your hands. So he said, that's the whole point here. I'm here, I'm here to suffer. Because the suffering builds me up. It builds my muscle, it makes me healthier, whatever the case is. I came here knowing it's going to hurt. Knowing it's not so pleasant. But knowing what I'm achieving, I jumped into the water. What's the question here? One guy went to the gym and he saw one guy is about to, weigh, to lift 300 pounds. No, put oil on his body, you know this. After five years that he works on his body, he's about to pick up a very massive weight. He goes, oh, he goes like this, he says, hey, what are you doing? Wait, wait, don't move. He brings a, a machine and puts the machine under the weight. He presses a button, the machine goes up and down. He brings it up and down. He says, why do you worry so much? Here, press the button. What do you want? You want the weight up? You want the way down? Here. So, so the guy said, well, fool, what are you offering me? This is us. When the test is difficult, we want the machine to do the job for us. I don't want to do that. It's too hard. God, why are you so, why are you so strict with me? If you stay in the same level, you're not achieving anything. Where is the test? You're in first grade for 20 years. I had a friend like this, nine years in first grade. Until his father realized school is not for him. But 20 years you're in first grade, what, what, what do you achieve? You want to get a reward? Why you want to be a doctor for staying in first grade 20 years? 
You know, one time Rabbi Ovadia Yosef went to London for Shabbaton. Weekend. And over there, there's perhaps a thousand people. And the moment before he had to give his main speech on Shabbat, he needed to go to the bathroom. You know, in a hotel. And they just put the, the machines there that when you go in, the laser, the eye detect that you come in, so the eye goes on and off, and it flushes the water or opens the door. Some kind of electronic system that was over there. When he went into the bathroom, I think the light went on when he entered the place by a laser. He realized what just happened. So I didn't touch anything. The light went on. He saw there's nobody there. Now he knew if I'm going to open the door and leave, it's going to shut the light. Now I'm stuck in the bathroom, Shabbat. And he hears the guy scream, Ladies and gentlemen, the biggest rabbi from Eretz Israel, Gdol Ador, Ma, Ma, please rise. <laughs> he cannot go out. Again and again, everyone is looking for him. So what am I going to do now? <laughs> cannot go out. It's all from Hashem. What can I do? Stand over there for a few minutes. One kid or a guy, something, got in. As soon as he got in, now the door was open, he jumped out. You understand? Because the door is anyway open. Once he opened the door, he jumped out, and that's it. That's how he got saved, and he went in. Somebody who just became religious, Hashem doesn't give him such a test. Why? He knows he's not going to be able to handle the embarrassment. Thousand people waiting for you, they call your name on the stage, and you're not showing up. It's a big embarrassment. So according to who you are, that's how your tests are in life. So the same thing here. Since he became such a holy man, the Satan is dying to bury him. He puts all his energy on him. It's not an ordinary person that keeps three mitzvot a day. This is a massive person. If I surrender him, it's like surrendering the whole army. So he puts big desire in his heart for situations like this. That's why the Gemara say, yeah, the ordinary person is righteous. He didn't look at her. He spoke to her about the Vret Torah, no problem. But when he's a big man, the Yetzer Hara kills him faster, much faster. Greater you are from your friend, your evil inclination is also greater, according to your achievement and your progress. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan say, we're still in Masechet Sukkah. Ever katan yesh bo ba'adam. There's one organ in a man's body. Someone who tried to make this organ full will always keep him hungry. And someone who tried to keep him hungry automatically will always make sure he's full. Everybody knows what he's talking about. This is the rule. Person who makes sins with a lady, he thinks, well, every day or two I'll make a scene that will relax my evil inclination. In reality, what do we see? That these people have no end to how, ma how much pritzut, how, ma how arrogant they are, and how they behave like worse than animals. There's nothing like this that it's, oh, you know, it's enough for me once in three days, once in one week. It's not going to be like this. However, a person who watches his eyes until he gets married, he doesn't touch any woman, he's holy. He doesn't have 1% of the desire that a person who goes and makes sins every day has. It's not like the body. Your body, you just ate three slices of bread, you're full for six hours. You don't eat, you're hungry. Over here, it's the opposite. The more 
you'd make scenes, the more hungry you become. And, and see if reality is justified the words of the Gemara or not, you see it. Same thing in a yeshiva. People who live in Manhattan, it's very hard for them not to make scenes. Very difficult. Everywhere they go, the scenes is around them, in a commercial, in a building, in a neighborhood, next door. Everywhere I go is somehow connected to it. This rotten world is all about that. Television, this. Commercials, this. Movies, this. Radio, this. DVDs, this. Internet, this. Commercials on the street, this. Talking, conversation, this. You go to watch a game, it's also this. Everything is this. Sodom and Gomorrah. Why do you think God destroyed millions of them with fire? Because of these sins. But a person who sits in yeshiva, he doesn't see all this. He's not in Broadway, he's not in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, as soon as you come out of the plane, you're in Sodom and Gomorrah. Mamash, like this, you, go, you make three steps, if you've ever been in Vegas, if not, please don't go there. You come out of the plane, the airport is one big prostitution house. That's what you see over there, big signs, casino. You go right away into the casino, you know, from the plane, right into the slot machines. Everyone over there, for the first time, I've been there in lectures a few times. First time I really got a shock there. I thought maybe, what happened here? How all of a sudden I'm in a casino? They didn't even come out of the plane yet. I realized that it's designed that before you even make step into this filthy place, right away the Satan choke you. Don't move. You are mine. <laughs> I cannot, cannot open your eyes over there. Such a filthy place. And then you see all these 60, 70 years old men, all of them has 18 years old, 20 years old, walking with them. All these cowboys, all these show over there. Everything God hates in one place. And that's why when the world will be destroyed, where do you think these places will be the first one who get the heat? It's no coincidence why places like San Francisco has a lot of earthquakes. It's no coincidence why Haiti has so many natural disasters or the tsunamis. It goes to places of idols worshipping and prostitutions. Right there. Also, in, uh, I'll give you another example. Check the history of the United States. All the places of beaches, and these, they have all the hurricanes and all the attacks and the gas spill, the gas leaks. Why New York, not opening my mouth for the devil, New York is perhaps the safest place in America. Almost no tragedies here ever. And technically, in New York, what's the difference? They also have a lot of tragedies. What's the difference between New York and other places? Just because it's few, uh, 50 or 100 or 200 miles away? Because New York is full of Torah. There's hundreds of yeshivot. People sit, learn to write, protects the whole place. Everywhere the Jews lived in history, automatically the place was safe and automatically the place was blessed. Once the goyim either murdered them or evicted them, sent them to the exile, right away the curses came to these places. If you're not sure about what I say, I'll, I'll give you the list. In Egypt, very blessed place, the biggest empire in the world, right? 3,500 years ago. When Joseph died, he was the second king, the deputy. Once Joseph died, they took the Jews, they made them into slaves. As long as the Jews were there, they're still very, very wealthy, Egypt. As soon as the Jews came out of Egypt, Hashem destroyed Egypt. Then Babylon, the Jews were in Babylon, they were the biggest empire in the world. 
as soon as the Jews came out of Babylon, Babylon disappeared from the face of the earth. Then the Romans, the Romans, they controlled the world, they came to mess with the Jews. As soon as what happened, they destroyed Beit HaMikdash and whatever, what happened to them disappeared from the face of the earth. In our days, in Iran, before Khomeini came to Iran, the Iranian Shah, he was there, he was very fair to the Jews. He had many friends, Jews, the Jews helped him to come from France. There's a family here in Great Neck. Their last name is Aryeh. The grandfather gave the Iranian Shah, that's what they told me, the story over there, an open check. Write any amount you want to return back to Iran. And he came from France, he came to Iran, he established himself, and then, thanks to that, that's why the Jews believe, he was very grateful to the Jews, and for all his career, whatever he was, many years, the king of Iran, he was very fair to them, and it's not easy to be fair in such a fanatic Muslim country, when they hate the Jews so much, to be able to maneuver them in a way that they would live with the Jews and not make pogroms and not make all kinds of things, not so easy, because you have pressures from both sides. And he did it pretty well. Once the Islam took over, the Jews escaped from Iran, almost all of them, they came to America, the blessing came to here, and over there they went back a thousand years in history. It's so primitive and so poor, the people over there. In his days, he was the fourth paradise in the world, the United States, France, Germany, Iran was the number four in life quality. Like it was uh, better than Europe. Food, stores, top of the line design. Oh, today go over there, see what's happened over there. You go back a thousand years in history, how, it, how they live. So, Russia. Russia was just as big empire like United States, no? If not even bigger. When the Jews came out of Russia, hundreds of thousands of Jews, the ruble, as soon as the Jews left, a week later, it was five to a dollar. It was a revolution in Russia, the communists in collapse. It went from five ruble to a dollar to 500 overnight. It's mean, that means if you had a hundred million dollar worth of real estate in Russia, you went to sleep, you got up in the morning, it became one million. A hundred million became one million. Yeah, that's what happened there, hundred percent. Check what happened. People were waiting all day for food on lines. So I knew a guy, a Swedish guy that was a diplomat here, and he used to have a company that export and import uh, Russian watches. It's an imitation of Swiss watches. He had a company, they manufacture everything in Russia. He was telling me what's happening there. He said, I want to buy a piece of lobster. It's a goy. He said, a piece of lobster, 300 American dollars. That's what happened. Yesterday was $3, today 300 Nobody can buy it. Only foreigners. They collapsed. They sold tanks to the Kurds and to the Afghanis and to all these desert people for $5,000 an advanced tank that worth three, four million dollars. $5,000, they were stealing tanks, the soldiers, driving into the desert, finding all the rebellions people, how much? $5,000? He takes the $5,000 and escapes. That's what happened over there. And in the United States, if the Jews would leave this country completely, everything here will be zero, nothing. Why? Because the Torah says that Hashem says, I'm running the world and managing the world for the nation of Israel. If the Jews are not here, what do I need this world for? 
What for? For Broadway? For the neon lights? For the Christmas trees? For to putting some boxes underneath and waiting for Santa to come? For this I made the world? What did I make the world for? For my Torah. Nobody is busy with my Torah. I don't have an incentive to keep the world another minute. What? To people to eat and go to the bathroom like dogs? I'll make a world with chimpanzees. I don't need people for that. If I put you here and I made you here for the Torah and the mitzvot, for my Torah. Nothing else is important. Why do I care? Well, I made the world for the Indians to drink the pee of the cow every morning for breakfast instead of a tea. For fighting when a cow walks in the street, everyone bow down for this kind of people. Or making Buddha and put flowers and sing to him Hare Krishna, whatever they sing over there. For this I made the world. You know, in India they have all kinds of things. If you see what they worship, you won't believe these people are, have one drop of brain in their head. There's temples over there, people go in, there's millions of rats. Millions of rats. They go in and they make all the rats go on their face, on their clothes. That's their idols, the rats. All kinds of things. In India, there are people who carry their mothers in a basket on the back. Everywhere they go, for 30 years, he carries his mother. Everywhere he goes. That's, that's, what, what are you doing? Oh, a guy in India, all his life, he puts his hand up. What is, what's the point? You don't understand. You know, there's no, really, what answer can he give? So I once asked a guy with his mother on his, on his shoulder, everywhere he goes, he takes his mother. And you know, they interview him. And the mother, an old woman, you see, maybe 80 years old Indian woman sitting inside the, ba the basket. So I wonder when he goes to the bathroom what he does. <laughs> what he does with his mother. He has to take a shower to go to the bathroom. What does he do with his mother? For this kind of people, like Arash Baruch made the world. Why we say the blessing every morning, bless you God for didn't make me a goy. We think we have to bless Hashem for not making us a goy like the people who stand in the street and 20 below zero. Hey, brother, can you spare a dime? When you think, bless you, God, who didn't make me a goal, you think about the guy in, uh, in Bronx, in Harlem, standing 2 o'clock at night and begging you to give him a quarter that he can buy coffee. His, his clothes are all ripped, he lives on the street, he's a homeless. But goy like Bill Gates, what's the problem of being... So the answer of the Torah is the opposite. When a person makes this blessing, you have to think about the most successful guy in history. That's a bracha. Not just a guy homeless on the street that's looking in a garbage for a piece of bread. No. When I think, bless you God for didn't make me a guy, you have to think about Obama, about Bill Gates, about the most fancy successful goyim in the world. Why? They don't have Torah. That's enough. That's it. They don't have Torah. They don't know what Torah is. Even a righteous guy, but he doesn't have Torah. That's, by the way, the order of the blessing. Many women, Jewish women, get offended when we make the blessing in the morning. Especially the... Uh, what's their name? How they call themselves? The women, the pro-rights, women rights. Huh? Feminine, feminine. You know, the feminist, the feminist activities, so they get very angry when they read the blessing in the morning, how they write order in the morning. Bless you God for didn't make me, first one what? Huh? A goy. What comes the next one? Bless you God for didn't make me a slave. Bless you God for did not make me a woman. 
when a Jewish woman reads this in the morning, what blessing she say? Bless you, God, who made me as he wished. She cannot make a blessing, did not make me a man, because it's a contradiction. So from here, the women get offended. What is this, racism? Because you're a man, you're better than me. So the answer to all these women that speak out of uh, ignorance, and they don't know what they speak about, it's not about uh, a man is better than a woman, because the Torah said that women are better than men in certain uh, things. So the man is better in some things, and the woman is better in other things, which makes them kind of equal. That's not what it is. It's all about the Torah, if you pay attention. Bless you, God, for didn't make me a goy. Why? A goy has no Torah at all, zero. So first of all, I, do, I thank you for that. What comes after that? A slave. Which slave are we talking here about? Every, in the old days when they used to buy and sell slaves, what was the old, old laws of the Torah in slavery? You have to respect the slave, you have to respect yourself. You eat steak, you eat steak. You sleep in a gold bed, you sleep in a gold bed. You have a, everything you have, you give him also. It's an educational punishment. He stole money, he cannot pay back, he becomes a slave, becomes your servant. He works for you, he plows the ground for you, he cut the grass for you, he picked up the oranges for you. Whatever your job is, he's doing it for you. But you feed him, you give him a place to sleep, you give him a woman to marry, to raise children. It's not so simple, slavery. <clears throat> Why am I telling you this? What's the first thing applies to the goy slaves, the non-Jewish slaves that they buy in the market? They are Jewish slaves who come and sell themselves, or the Jewish court sell them when they cannot pay back what they stole. If they cannot pay back, they say, you know what, uh, Rabbi, I cannot pay him back. He's right, I owe him, I stole. Let, sell me for a slave, with my money, give it to him, and I'll be a slave. And that's what it is. But with the goyim, same thing. A goy wants to be a slave, he comes, he sells himself, he stands on a rock in an auction, and they bid on him, and now a Jew bought him. Abraham Avinu had many slaves, that he bought them, Abraham. So he buy a slave. He buy a slave, what's the first rule applied to this slave before he even enters his house? He converts him. Every slave automatically becomes Jewish. But what kind of Jewish? A Jew with, a, with laws like a woman. He's becoming like a Jewish woman, even though he's a man, you know? He becomes like a woman. What's the difference? A woman is not obligated to learn Torah. She's not putting tefillin. Many laws that apply to men only does not apply to him. But he has to observe the Sabbath, like a woman. He has to eat kosher. Every mitzvah that a woman has, he has the same thing. If one day the master, the Jewish master, releases him, he gives him a, a release, that second he becomes 100% regular man, a Jewish man. He needs to put filin, he needs to learn Torah. That's it, he became free. Why? Until now, he couldn't learn Torah. He's obligated to his master. He has to serve him all the time. He has to be on the alert. Ahmed, they changed his name. He's not Ahmed anymore. He became Yosef. Yosef, make us tea, please. No, no, I'm learning. I'm in the middle of the sugiya. Wait, 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 give me 20 minutes. What kind of slave? Who needs slaves like this? So the Torah, Hashem is reasonable. He knows what can be done, what cannot be done. He gives them a discount. Only the mitzvot of women. So, first, bless you for not making me a goy because he doesn't have any Torah and mitzvot, almost. Seven mitzvot, that's it, but no Torah. Then, a, man, a slave... He was a goy, but now he became a slave, but Jewish slave. 
So, he already got to a higher level, because he keeps some mitzvot. He hears Torah, he's in a higher level. So that comes after. And what comes after that, the third one? A woman. For making, for, so you see the right order. It's nothing to do with racism, I'm better, you better. It's all about Torah. All about Torah. The more Torah you are obligated to learn, the higher level you are considered. Same thing, I'll give you an example. A mamzer, an illegitimate boy. An illegitimate boy that uh, he came to the world from his mother cheating on the, on the, on the father. So the kid, he has an ex on him for the rest of his life. He cannot marry the normal person. He has to, mamzer has to marry a mamzer. Only a manzer, cannot marry anyone else. So the, the point here now, if this manzer become a Talmud Chacham, he learns a lot of Torah and become in the level of a high rabbi, even a Kohen, that you have to give a lot of respect, the manzer is better than him. It's interesting, when you go to the shul on Shabbat, you have to give aliyah first to Kohen. What the Gabbai say, Kohen, first Kohen, he gets the aliyah. No Kohen, then you go to the rest of the people. First Cohen. What happens if you have a mamzer in a shul that everybody knows is Talmid Chacham, he knows Torah, every question you ask him, he knows. According to the law, you have to give him first. If you have to give a glass of wine for someone to make the bracha, you give it to him, to the mamzer. Hi. He, he has an X on him. It's not because of him. He was born to a, to a wicked mother that she made a horrible sin. She brought him to a man with a man that was a, to the world with a man that wasn't her husband. But everything that is in his hand is 100% free to achieve. And Hashem is rewarding him based on his achievement. Now you may ask me, where is the justice when a person like this born to the world? Before he made a scene, he already has an ex on him for the rest of his life. Can only marry a, a girl like him. What did he do to deserve this? This boy was born to a father and mother, normal. And that baby was born to a cheater mother. Now all his life he has to suffer. Everyone points at him, a mamzer, a mamzer. How do you say mamzer in English? Bastard, bastard. He's a bastard, a bastard. So, what, what, where, where is the justice? What, what, what's going on here? So the question is the same thing. Why is blind and this boy is not blind? Why he was born with half a heart and he has a full heart? Why he was born very ugly and he was born very handsome? Why? The, these questions will never end. So one answer to all questions. Everything is precise based on your previous lives. Don't ever forget that. If they took a baby and he was born a bastard, a mamzer, that means he's a criminal from his previous life that has to pay for his sins and the way to make him pay is to make him a mamzer. It's not a coincidence why this individual became a mamzer and he is not. It's not coincidence. You used to be a criminal, making sins with married women and kings. And I say, say, okay, since you did it to others, you're going to be one of them, of these mamzerim. Now you're going to feel for 70 years of the tragedies that you caused to other families. It's all measure for measure. We do not know his previous life, so we say, where is the justice? Same thing, uh, uh, an ugly person. Why is ugly? If you check him in a previous life, you see he was very handsome. He was very handsome. He puts ugly people down. He made fun of them all his life. 
it was all caring about outside and not the inside. Hashem said, measure for measure, let's make you one of these people. You know, I told, you, I told once a story in one of my lectures, maybe I will wake you up a little bit. I know a person, married to my cousin, is a real clown. Real clown, I'm much a clown. He lives to laugh at people. That's his profession. I don't think he's doing it because he's an evil person, because overall he's a, you know, he's a good, he has a good heart and he helps also and he does good things. But life without laughing for him doesn't worth anything. Which means no matter where you're going to see him, he's going to make jokes, dance, put a wig, make all kinds of shows. Ah, he was born like this, this kind of person. But his specialty is to laugh at people. In order for him to laugh at people, he's looking for funny people. Who's funny? Usually very ugly, out of the ordinary people. So he likes to make fun at them. One of the worst things in the Torah, to laugh at people. Especially for defects that they have, that it's not even in their hand. That's how they're born. So, he found another clown, younger, another one, is a relative of a relative, and now they like to sit in the weddings and make fun at people. Especially when the whiskey goes in, now it's boiling. No matter what, they'll find who. Now, after they eat, it's not a religious wedding, that everybody comes to make Hatan and Kala happy. He goes around to find a victim. So usually they find somebody and all night they see, they drink and they laugh at this person. Everything he does, he dance, he dance funny, he does this, they sit and laugh like the lowest low lives. One time, <laughs> how great is Hashem if you open your eyes. One time the young guy comes to him, screams, come, come, you never saw in your whole life such a funny guy. So you say, where, where? He said, wow, cross eye, his nose is crooked, he, he has not one hair on his head, his head is like this, he's very fat, describing like a monster. Come, come, you never saw such a thing. They run, he runs, he runs, he runs, they turn around, and it's all in a catering place. He said, in! The guy looks at him, you fool, he's my father! <laughs> Real story. From hundreds of people, that young clown found the funniest guy. Who? His father. Now you may think, Hashem, open up your eyes to see the feeling. What did you feel when this guy told you the funniest, the ugliest, this about your father? You may think, that's it, I'm done with that. I got my lesson until today. <laughs> Nothing is changed. Time is running out. So the Gemara says, in the times of Beta Shoeva, in the holiday of Sukkot, they have one day that they make a party, all the rabbis make all kinds of shows to bring all the ignorance to Jerusalem. Why? The ignorance are not, ha not interested in learning Torah. They're not interested in hearing a speech. They want circus, you know, torches, you know, one bike with one wheel on a rope, you know, all these things. So they like circus. So if you tell them there's a circus, they come. Through the circus, you give them two hours Torah, you know. They saw all day dancing, happening, whatever it is. 
Then the rabbi said, okay, time out. Please, rabbi, give some speech. Through that, you make them come. That's the whole trick of making stories in a lecture, telling st interesting stories. Why, if you're a speaker that only speaks pure Torah and halacha and law, people are bored. The Yetzirah doesn't let them learn. If you tell them jokes and stories, especially jokes today, oh, this guy is a comedian. Very good. It's war to go. That's what happened, especially in our days. So the Gemara say, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, the president of Israel, a very, very holy man, in the day of Simchat Bet HaShoeva, he was throwing torches in the air, torch with fire. How many? Today, if a person does with three, four, it's a world record, four at the same time. Eight, eight in the air, and none one of them is falling. Eight, eight. You know, try to show one person now, how do you know it's real? How do you know it really happened? Because the generation that it was written, it's like me today writing an article, right? I want to write an article and I publish it to my people, to my students, all over. And I say, my rabbi, his name is Rabbi X. He was a party and he threw eight torches in the air. If it's not true, all my students will put an X on me for the rest of my life. What a liar, what a crook. What age? I was there in a party. Barely two, three, whatever. Cannot lie. Thousands of witnesses. Millions of witnesses. The whole, the whole nation comes to this Simchat to Bet HaMikdash in the free festival. The Gemara tells you eight. Eight means eight because everybody reads this Gemara. They know, yes or no. It happened or not. Cannot lie about something like this. Eight. Zorek Achat, once one is in the air, he receives other one as always, the rest are in the air and one is always in his hand. And not one touch the other while they're in the air. Not one touch the other. When they used to stand on their hands, you know, like we can walk on our hands, you know these people who can walk on, our, on their hands? Most people walk on their hands like this. They stand and they walk, right? Opposite. They, was, they were walking on their thumbs like this. You know a person that can stand backwards on his thumbs and his legs are all the way up in the air? Real athletic. Better than the Olympic Games. Standing on their thumbs. And then all the ignorance come. Wow, what a show. Five minutes later, time out. <laughs> the speech begins. That's how it was. Amar Rabbi Elazar. A person should be very, very careful never to complain all his life against anything that God does. Never complain. Oh, I missed the plane. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? I, they didn't give me the job. How many interviews I can go? How many years I'm going to stay single? I'm tired of this. It's not fair. What, are you, what do you want from me? I can't take this anymore. The more you talk, the more you ruin it for yourself. You lose your reward for passing the test. For all the suffering that you got, by complaining about it, you lose your reward. Why? I don't have a munah in you. I don't have faith in you. I don't trust you. I'm not sure that you know what you're doing. Maybe I'm wasting my time. That's why I'm complaining. A person that knows his role for his good, he will never complain. You know, I told you the story about the Yemenite woman that came from Yemen with the Sefer Torah. And the Zionist activist, everyone who came 
from Yaman, they first thing a doctor checked them. And some of them had leprosy, and it's contagious. So they locked them in a hospital in Talabia in Jerusalem. It's a very fancy neighborhood today, but in those days, 60, 70 years ago, it wasn't something special. And they had a special hospital, isolated, all locked, sealed. Only people with the diseases that are, there's no medicine, and it's very contagious. They used to lock them in for the rest of their life. So she only had a rash. She didn't have a leprosy. So they diagnosed her with leprosy by mistake, sent her to that place and stole her Sefer Torah. This is an ancient Yemenite Sefer Torah that worth millions today. From hundreds of years in her family, it goes from father to son. She had that Sefer Torah, a small one, on a scroll. Very old, very old. They stole it away from her. They told her, when you come out of the hospital, you come to us, we'll give it to you, knowing they'll never let her out. And the one who wrote the story about her, he testified, he used to go every Friday to visit the, the patients there, that the years that she was, first after a week that she was there, she got it. It's contagious, so she really got it. So now she really have leprosy, so she'll never come out. And all day she was crying every day for the Sefer Torah that they stole from her. For the Torah squirrel, she was crying for that for 20 years. Then she decided, that's it, they stole a Sefer Torah from me, I'm going to write a new one. So she used to get social security from the government. X amount of money they give miserable people, old people, people who need help, the government gives them money. Almost in every country in the world, you have to give them. If you don't give them, you, you destroy society. If you don't give people handicaps, old people, sick people, if you don't give them help, they'll burn you up. They'll come burn your house. They rob you on the street. You stand on the street with your new BMW, you put a gun to your head. What do they, I'm hungry. You're not giving me money, I'll kill you. What, what, what are you going to enjoy life? You make a million dollars a month and we starve? I don't care. I'll kill you. In order to keep them quiet, you have to give them money. That's it. In every country in the world is like this. Not because they really ba'alei chesed that they care about them so much. If they, want, if they could get rid of them, believe me, they would get rid of them. But they cannot do anything. So, you know, all these sick people, the rich people give them money. And it's, it's with the system, taxes, all these things. So now, the government gives her money. The government gives her money, she starts to save the money. Once she has enough money, she sends it to a Yemenite sofer to write a new Sefer Torah. A year later, the Sefer Torah is ready. And now they made a party, Achnasat Sefer Torah, to a Yemenite shul in Israel. Now she cannot go out to the party. So she made a party to all the women in the hospital. All religious women there, so they make a party, candy, they dance a little bit. What can they do? She was very excited that finally she made a new Sefer Torah. Just the Sefer Torah went into that shul. There was an electric short, something like that. The shul burned up and the Sefer Torah got burned. So the Sefer Torah, the second one, is burned now. She sits and cries non-stop. She's very, very upset, and she became very sick. Now she has heart condition and all other, other sicknesses from the stress that the Sefer Torah got burned. All day she only complained about the Sefer Torah. Then she called the government who sends her the check, the social security checks. She said, I'm begging you, please give me a loan. What do you need a loan for? I made a Sefer Torah, it got burned. I want to make a new one. You know, in those days, most Jews in Israel were religious. 
So probably they, for that cause, they're willing to consider. But they told her, how are you going to pay back the loan? She said, you don't have to send me monthly money anymore. Just take the check that you send me every day and apply it towards the loan. So okay, she's still young. We have enough time. They gave her the loan. She made a third Sefer Torah now. And the Sefer Torah went in. Now she's not getting money anymore every month. So Rabbi uh, Holzer, Rabbi Holzer, he used to go every Friday to visit this, the, the patients over there. One time he comes, he brings them things, a little, you know, for Shabbat. He comes in, he's about to go in, but you know, it's all isolated. You cannot go close to them. There's rules there. He hears the nurse yelling at her. It's not my fault, you're a fool. Who told you to take your money, your monthly checks, and give it to the rabbis to write a Sefer Torah? Now you don't have socks. Look at your socks. They all have holes. You don't have what to wear. We're all suffering because of you here. Why, why, you do, why do you have to do it? You didn't have anything. You had to take your money and give it to the Sefer Torah. So she answered. This is her answer. This is, this is why I told you the story, for her answer. She said to her, don't be a fool. Soon I'm going to die. Husband, I don't have. Kids to follow my tradition, the Torah, the mitzvot, I don't have. What do you want me to take up there to my trial? Socks? That's what I'm going to come to here. I have socks. What do I have? Why do I care about socks or clothing if they have holes or not? I care about this nonsense. Now I can go and say I didn't break. I made Sefer Torah in the end. One they stole, one they got burned, I didn't give up. I can go there and know I left a Sefer Torah, people learning it, people reading it, something I left in this world. This is, this is how a Jew has to think. I came here to build my house and enjoy my car and enjoy what I have here. People fell in love with this environment, the society, every day a new toy. You know, one guy came to the rabbi, he said, Rabbi, my wife is driving me crazy. He said, why? She's, he said, she's very childish. Very, very childish. Rabbi said, childish? What can, I, what can it be? He said, describe childish. He said, she steal my toys from the bat. <laughs> I didn't get it. He has toys. He plays with toys. She steal my toys from the bat. A person cannot see what's negative about himself. When she play with the toys, he's childish, but it's his toys. All of us have toys. Every week a new car, a new watch, a new cell phone. Everything comes out right away has to get it. I have friends like this. They always call me, do you need a cell phone? <laughs> Just from their leftover, I'm a king. Do you need this? Do you need that? Do you need a, do you need a suit? You come, you see, brand new. You smell, it's brand new. Why? Something new came out. Right away, he gets rid of the cell phone, he buys a new one. 300, 400 dollars cell phone. You don't have a scratch on it yet. Sometimes the sticker is still on it. Sometimes they didn't even open the box. We get phone calls. The rich people are so sick that they want to give the clothes. At least they want to do chesed. They want to clear the closet. Half of the suits, women, men, kids, coats that they give still have the price tag on it. $600, $1,100, big expensive clothes. You're embarrassed to wear it as a religious person. It's too fancy. They, why is she buying it? 
She's so bored from her life, maybe it'll make me happy for a day. Ah, an excitement. Wow, beautiful. New velvet suit. Made in uh, Paris, made in this. That's, what else do they have in their life? If a person is connected to wood and stone, not to Hashem, that's it. <sighs> you know, in Tehillim, we finish with that last thing for today. In Psalms, the most famous Mizmorim that David Amelech and his son Shlomo and some other writers wrote is Shir Lamaalot. When a person has a problem, usually everybody say those parts, Shir Lamaalot, Shir Lamaalot, Shir Lamaalot. There's 15 different cha- chapters of Shir Lamaalot. Why 15? You know, it's all with holy vision. It's not a coincidence why it's 15, why it's 11, why it's 3. Everything has reasons, deep reasons. When when David HaMelech wanted to build the temple, the first temple, 3,000 years ago in Jerusalem. So he came to the prophet Nathan. Nathan was the prophet. He came to him and says, Rabbi, I want to start building the Bet HaMikdash. You give me permission? Because he's the spiritual leader. So he started to bless him. Yeah, Hashem will bless you. Be successful in everything you do. At night, Nathan, the prophet, went to sleep. All the prophets, besides Moshe, Moses, all of them spoke to God through dreams and visions. They faint or fall asleep, and they see a vision, they get up and they write. The only one who spoke to God directly, standing and hearing him and seeing an image, is Moshe Rabbeinu. It's the only one. And the only one who was able to stand on his, on his legs while he was receiving a prophecy is Moshe. All the other prophets, they had to sit or to lay down. Like Bilam, right? When Bilam, Balak hired Bilam to curse the nation of Israel, he sent him messenger, they told him, we'll give you gold, whatever you want, jewelry, money, just curse the nation of Israel for us. We're afraid of them. It's going to be a war. So what was his answer? Stay here until the night. Tomorrow morning I'll tell you what God tell me. Why? He cannot get a prophecy now. He has to go to sleep. Only then he's going to get a prophecy. But Moshe was the only one who wanted to speak to Hashem. He started to talk and God answered him immediately. So, David asked Nathan. Nathan goes to sleep at night after he told him, you'll be blessed, God will help you. No. God comes to him and says, who told you? I didn't give you this prophecy. King David cannot build the temple. Why? He's a warrior. He's a soldier. He went to war and he killed people. Hands that spill blood, even legally, in a war, it's a mitzvah, it's not a sin. Somebody comes to kill your children, it's an obligation to kill him first. No, no, my friend, come, come. Here, I'll I'll give you a better gun. Here, here, my kids are right here. No, you went to the... Right away, I have to kill him before. What? In a war, he killed some people. He's a hero. Hands that spill blood cannot build the altar, cannot build such a pure place. Spill blood, finish. Same thing a Kohen that went to a war with the Arabs and he killed an Arab. There's a question if he can do Birkat Kohanim. Even though it's a war for our survival, we have this war for thousands of years already to survive. They never leave us alone, the Arabs. But 
since he spilled the blood, there's already a question if he can make Birkat Kohanim or not. Some say yes, some say no, it's a question. By himself, no, but with others he can join them. It's not so, it's not so simple to spill blood. A person who kills innocently a person, let's say a car accident, he has to go to a shelter city. He has to leave his businesses, his yeshiva, everything, and he moves to a closed city. Why? He didn't mean to kill. He fell from the ladder on the head of someone. He threw something and by mistake it fell from the window and he killed someone. Not intentional. You killed someone, it's not coincidence. Out of our society. So David Amelech cannot build a temple. So yes, the prophet, okay, at least ask God if he allow me to make the foundation. Let me dig the hole. It's 400 meter by 400 meter. What is it, like 1,200 feet, 1,200 feet, square. So uh, Hashem said yes. So he started to dig, he brought all the workers, they started to dig the foundation. And in the middle of the lot, there's a big rock, big rock. And they want to remove the rock. So the people there say, don't touch this rock, you cannot move it. Why? All the water that comes from the ground, spring water under the ground, if you move this rock, they all shoot up, you make a flood, everybody here will die in Jerusalem. It's dangerous, don't move this rock. Even today, you know, sometimes water comes out of the ground. Did you ever see it? It's shooting like a missile all the way up. It can be 100 feet up. Sometimes in the middle of the lake, I saw in Seven Lake water coming from the ground. See bubbles coming. It's a hole from very, very deep. That's why we have wells. We make 300 feet in the ground. Water comes for free. There's always water under. So, you know, so he didn't listen to them. He moved that rock and water started to come. Now he was panicking. He said, wow, maybe I made such a mistake. What's going to be now? How am I going to stop this water? So he asked, I want to write the name of God, 72 letters. It's a combination of names of God. It's called the Shema Meforash the pure name of God, holiest name, and you can make magics with this. So if you write it like a mezuzah, you write it on a cloth and you throw it into the water, any magic you want to do with that, you can do. But there's one problem. The Torah does not allow to erase the name of God. If you wrote the name of God in a mezuzah, in tefillin, in a sefer Torah, and you want to scrape it with a razor, you're not allowed. It's a problem. So if you're going to put the ink inside, he will erase the name of God. It's a sin. Am I allowed to do it? So he asked, nobody answered. There was a person over there that knew a lot of Torah, but he was wicked. Sometimes you find people like this. They know Torah, but they don't want to change their character. They stay rotten as they were. So this Achitofel is standing over there. His name is Achito. He knows a lot of Torah. And he doesn't answer. Now David Amelech feels that he knows the answer, if you're allowed to not. But he doesn't want to say why. He wants David to get into trouble, that the people will throw him out of there, and he will take his place, because he's a, he's a famous figure there. So King David say, if somebody knows the answer here and is silent, he cursed him to some kind of, he got so scared, so right away he said, yeah, I know the answer. I was afraid from his curses. A holy man is afraid. He say, it's needless to say, you can learn it from a law that called Kalva Homer. It's needless to say. What does it mean it's needless to say? If a woman 
maybe, not guarantee, maybe cheated on her husband. He's only suspecting. He saw her going, coming out of hotel room, coming out of a building, uh, coming out of someone's car. He doesn't know. He's only suspecting. It drives him crazy. So he's starting to investigate here, and she doesn't admit, but he, his mind doesn't leave him alone. So in the old days, he has to take her to a Kohen in Bet HaMikdash, and they write the name of God, as I told you. They put it inside the water, as the Torah describes, and the woman drinks this water. If she cheated, her wounds explode, and she dies. Clear miracles. It was a disaster. So most women right away admit, no, 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 don't take me to the Kohen. Yeah, yeah, I cheated. Give me a get. Divorce me. Okay. Well, I don't want to die. So he said to him, if to make peace between a husband and wife, right? If she didn't cheat it, her marriage is over. When her husband will be able to, to renew the marriage, the relationship, after he removed any doubts from his mind. Once after she drank from the water and she's still alive, oh, my wife is kosher. She, she never made any sin. You can come back home. And now he loves her as before. And everything is fine. So the water, erasing the name of God, makes peace between a husband and wife. So Achitofel told him, if to make peace between two individuals, a husband and wife, God agreed to erase his name, even though it's a serious sin, but he allowed us, only in this scenario, to save thousands of people from death. It's needless to say. You learn it from... You don't need the Torah to tell you clearly. To save two, it's permitted. To save 20,000, it's not permitted. Of course. Right away, they wrote the name, they threw it in, and all the water went down all the way deep in the ground. The, uh, the flood stopped. Now it went down too much. Also a problem, because you need the water. You need water. You keep taking water from there. It went down too much. You know, in America, they have a rule. The government check the gas stations. Why? If they poison the water, you know, the gas leaks or garbage that they throw, grease, all kinds of things, it sinks inside the ground, very deep. It keeps sinking with the rains, it's going in and in and in until it gets mixed with the, with the spring water under the ground. And that's affects environment. It's a big thing. They get huge fines. I know a few gas stations that got locked. Successful gas station. The, the, the city came, they put a lock, they took away their business from not being careful with that. So it's, it's, it's a thing. So now there's no water. So David HaMelech with Ruach HaKodesh made that moment, he made 15 Shirla Ma'alot. The water went down 16,000 Amah, 8 kilometers under the ground. 16,000 Amah. Amah, it's like this, from here to here. So twice like this is like one meter, right? Almost 8 kilometers, 16,000 Amah. Every Shirla Ma'alot he made, he went up a thousand Amah. Clear miracles in front of people's eyes. Just when it was almost the same level like before, a thousand Amah below, it's nothing. Few rains is going to be fine. That's why we have 15 Shirla Ma'alot in Tehilim. But David HaMelech only made the foundation of Bet HaMikdash. His son Shlomo came and made the Bet HaMikdash. But when he made the temple, Solomon, he couldn't open the door. Only when he say, in the merit of my father David, the door opened up. Couldn't open the door. To show you, yes, he couldn't build the temple, but without him we wouldn't have the first temple. It was well, all his merit. 
But reality is reality. Your hand spilled blood, you took the soul of a person out of his body, it's, it's already a problem. Next Wednesday,